0: You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Bronco's Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me, as always, is my partner in crime, who you know and love as the lead NFL writer for Heavy.com. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, I'm sure you saw this by now, but John Elway came out and hinted at a possible timeline for Drew Lock not to play, but to even begin practicing. He told... KOA's uh, Logan and Lewis on Wednesday that they're looking at the Minnesota week, which is week 11, not to play him, but to practice him. What weird world are we living in?
1: I don't understand it, and it makes it weirder when you hear Vic Fangio talk about possibly putting Locke on injured reserve. It just shows, again, there's an apparent disconnect at the top. And we were talking about the Colts a couple weeks ago on the pod, or recently, about, about the, the opponent the Broncos were playing, and how their GM and their head coach worked in harmony. They, they were very much in sync. I don't really see that with the Broncos. I still see it as Elway's baby. It's his team, it's his squad, and it's his final decision. I don't agree with slow rolling the process that slowly and and dragging it along. By the time Locke is ready to play, he's gonna have, what, a couple weeks of audition time? It's not enough. He's been healthy, he's healthy now, he's he's raring to go. Put him out there. I, I, I still and won't understand the way they've, they've handled Locke since the moment they drafted him, Chad. Elway spoke to,
0: you know, he he brought up the bye, and he basically said that, look, we don't want to waste a practice week uh, because we don't do anything on the bye. We we view that as a, as a waste, which is true in terms of, you know, that's a week where the players get to rest and recuperate. They do practice, but it's, I think, one, twice a week and two times for the week, and it's very much walk-through type of stuff. It's not the intensive work week that the team has on a regular scheduled game week, and so Elway pointed to that, and it's like, okay, well, we understand that, but you could activate Drew Locke for practice today, and guess what? If he's on the 53-man roster, he can practice unlimited. There is no timetable. This three-week window that Elway keeps talking about as governing the decision-making on this whole thing, and even Vic Fangio talked about it on Wednesday, we don't want to start the clock yet, we want to wait to start the clock. Why is there a clock? Zach, the right. only reason that the three weeks is there for per NFL rules is that if an NFL team wants to designate or is thinking about designating a player to return off injured reserve, they practice them. From the first day of practice, they have a three-week window with which to then either activate them to the 53 or keep them on injured reserve and they're done for the season. The only reason that three-week window would, would bother you is if there's any reason whatsoever you're still doubtful that player's ending up on the 53. If you knew for a fact, just like with Tim Patrick, they know Tim Patrick's going to the 53, so they they're starting the clock now. Why are what? Why are they still doubting whether or not to put Drew Locke on the 53? He's healthy. Uh, right.
1: I, I don't understand it, and I've seen it on Twitter. People have have you know message me uh, you know in replies and saying it, this theory. It seems like the Broncos have soured on Drew Lock or had a change of lock heart on Lock, excuse me, since they drafted him. I don't really know that's the case, but it is curious as to how they're they're bringing him along. He went from being the potential savior of the franchise to being buried behind Brandon Allen, Brent Ripon, and not even getting on to practice. I don't understand um the the mindset with which he's he's. He's building the the hope of the f- future of the franchise. He's managing Locke. It seems like they're willing to give Brandon Allen a shot. They're trying to capture lightning in a bottle with a former Rams cast off, thinking they have something there. When you have a guy you just traded up for who has every physical skill set, you can every box check there. Elway mentioned, though, his, his mental, his processing, his technique, either he didn't show well when he did practice or, or like the theories are saying, something soured Elway along the way. Maybe it's Locke's personality, maybe something behind the scenes that we don't know about, but it doesn't make sense the way they've handled this. They, they show zero confidence, not only for now, for 2019, but for the future. And
0: by the way, really quick, you guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. That's how you keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show in real time. And don't forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a creative review for this show and if you like what Zach and I are doing you like what you're hearing give us a five star rating and what that does is it not only is a great organic way to help the show and support the show but it also enters you into our monthly giveaway which we're going to be announcing here just in a couple of days who the winners are from the October randomly selected reviewers on Apple podcast so go take care of that
1: this is the overtime podcast network
2: Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME.
0: Zach, before we welcome on our awesome guest for today, Jared Mueller of the OBR, I want to read for our listeners because not many people listen to KOA, let's face it. It is state-sponsored radio there in Denver, and, you know, it's the voice of the team, basically. So the host, anytime it's Elway or anyone else, they, they treat them with kit gloves. You know, they're not as object. They can't be as objective as a, as a traditional journalist, and that's not to take anything away from KOA and guys like Dave Logan who are absolute rock stars and, and you know, nothing against that. I'm just saying, you know, it's, they have to kind of pull their punches a little bit. And so it's not always very listenable. Not a lot of people listen. So I want to read this quote real quick, exactly what Elway said about Drew Locke. Quote, well, first of all, we want to get him ready physically. He's a guy that's very talented that can play in the NFL. He's got all the talent. He's got all the ability to play in the NFL. Now, he hasn't practiced since training camp, so he's been playing catch, obviously, in his rehab, but physically he's not ready to go yet either. That's why we're going to wait on that. We're going to try to take advantage of the three weeks that we get with him because the bye week counts as a week of practice. We're not going to do much in the bye week, so therefore it's a wasted week. So that's why we're going to wait. We're thinking about looking at the Minnesota week, but I think the key thing is it's the conversation with the coaches. They're with him every day. They're seeing how he's handling what we're doing offensively. Like we've said, there's a big jump coming from the system that he was in to the system that we're running now and the fact that there's a lot more verbiage in the plays that we call, a lot more things that we do at the line of scrimmage. So that adjustment is the biggest thing to be able to get him in a situation. Now, obviously, we would ask different things of him than we would ask of Joe Flacco just because of the difference in experience and where he's been, but most of my information comes from where the coaches think he is, and that's what I'll rely on. We can watch him at practice and see how he does, but it all comes down to how he's mentally adapting to what we're doing on the offensive side, close quote. What that tells me, Zach, is based on what the coaches are telling John Elway, the only thing that makes anything close to sense on this is that John Elway's not sure that if he started the clock today on Drew Drew Locke, that three-week window we were talking about, that he's not going to be able to catch up mentally quick enough to justify putting him on the 53. That's the only thing I I can figure, but if that's the case, you're dealing with another Paxton Lynch. This guy's been in every meeting room. This guy's been in... Uh, doing virtual reality he hasn't been able to practice with his team but Zach he was there for the installs in the offseason he was there for the first half of training camp he played three preseason games for this team if halfway through the season Zach this guy can't even be trusted to know the play calls and operate the scheme know the hot reads know the routes know the protections you are, you're looking at another Paxton Lynch situation anyway so that's why I'm saying this whole thing doesn't make sense and to me it's Govern, it's governing the whole situation by fear based on fear. I'm worried they're going to botch this Drew Locke thing. That's how it feels right now. They are not handling this the way a competent front office would. And again, one last thing before I serve this over to you, Zach I'm not advocating that the Broncos play like if activate him today and play him against you know the Cleveland Browns, for example. I'm smart enough to know he's going to need a few weeks to practice, but practice him the longer you wait to practice him the more you risk botching his development and the longer it's going to take for him to develop.
1: First of all, I don't necessarily believe Elway when he says he bases his decision on the coaches. It's Elway's call, and he makes his call. He'll he'll confer with the coaching staff. And by the way, if he's taking his cues from a defensive-minded rookie head coach and Vic Fangio... And a rookie coordinator in Scangarello, it's not the most experienced uh, buoys to to lean on. So I don't really buy buy that at face value. But what message does this send to Drew Locke? We're so scared you're going to mess up. We're not even letting you practice even though you're fully healthy. Even though you came out and said, I'm ready to go whenever you're ready to play me, we're not ready to even have you on the practice field. I don't necess- I don't buy the fact that he's Paxton Lynch. Let him go out there and take one regular season snap, play one game, and let him sink or swim on his own volition here. But I mentioned this on Twitter. They have botched this Locke thing from the get-go, from putting it behind Kevin Hogan to uh, publicly talking about his lapses with his mental processing and his technique and his footwork. I mean, Elway's taken a strong, rigid stance against Drew Locke, the same way Fangio took that stance against Von Miller. And as a player, it. it It doesn't really send a comforting message. It wears you down. It's almost an adversarial approach you're taking with your own player. I don't know why. I can't explain it. I would have him on the practice field. I'm with you. You can't start him on Sunday against Cleveland. You have a bye coming up, but get him out there in the mix. Get some confidence going. Get some excitement and hope and passion going. You haven't had it all season. This is your opportunity. That Flacco injury, quote-unquote, that was a gift. That was the biggest blessing they could have got, and they're just spoiling it.
0: I don't understand it. I know, and I'm with you. He's not Paxton Lynch. I'm actually not worried about that at all. Okay, I've been around. I've even the one time I was around him in person, the dude is not, you know, goofball, happy-go-lucky, space cadet Paxton Lynch. This is a very smart, <laughs> sharp, um, you know, what whatever you want to, whatever phrase you want to use to describe kind of a work. Uh, or a force of nature, a force of, to be reckoned with is kind of what I'm I'm looking for here. He's legit, and he's got the talent to, to, to back it up. And it's just a matter of, you know, he's got to be asking himself at this point, Zach, like, what did I get myself into being drafted to Denver? Because this is <laughs> right. the weirdest. Mo- I've been telling everyone I'm good to go for a couple weeks now. Like, I'm fine, you guys. I thought I was your future franchise quarterback. Now the starter's gone down. There's no urgency to get me on the f- – What in the heck is going on? And it really doesn't make any sense. You guys, we wish we could help you make heads or tails of it, and we try to in these conversations Zach and I have. But unfortunately, it doesn't really stand to reason. The only explanation, Zach, is that Elway is still being governed through some kind of rubric of post-Paxton Lynch, post-traumatic stress syndrome.
1: It really has to be that. But like I mentioned, if you're still making long-term decisions three years later about a player that you busted on – uh, you don't deserve to be in that position to make those decisions. Locke has that it factor. He has that confidence. He has that alpha mentality. Right away, he is not Paxton Lynch. He's not playing Fortnite. He's not playing Madden on the Xbox. He's actually in the building early. He's leaving late. He's putting the work in. He's used to being coddled. I understand that in Missouri. He was the big big fish in a small pond, but now he's too small a fish in a big pond. you got to kind of play into that and keep his confidence up. It took a hit physically with his thumb, and you know, he's been out of the picture he wasn't feeling great about that but now he has a chance to stake his claim as the Broncos starting quarterback and the Broncos should be unified in building him up and 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 boosting his confidence and his morale, getting him on the field, getting him around teammates and not saying, oh, you're stuck behind Brandon Allen and Brett Rippon, even though you're a second round pick, a potential first round pick who we almost traded up for in the first round, traded up for you in the second round, but we're going to bury you and bury you and bury you. Uh, It's just not conducive to developing or maintaining a starting quarterback in Denver. And that's exactly why they've had a revolving door since Peyton Manning. The common denominator is Elway.
0: You just have to question Elway at this stage. I mean, not just because of how bad the team has been over the last three years, plus three and a half years now, but these decisions, it doesn't hold up. It doesn't stand to any form of reason. There's no logic there. The rationale, a sane person can't make heads or tails of it, which means it's being governed by some form of irrational emotion, and that's when you have to really question who is at the helm of this team. But We digress. Today we are excited to talk a little Browns Broncos, and let's not forget the Browns came into Denver last year and beat the Denver Broncos. So this is no walk in the park. Even though the Browns are coming into Denver in Week Nine at two and five, and the Broncos are two and six, and the Broncos are playing Brandon Allen, like this is going to be a a, I don't know. It could go either way, but we want to get the inside scoop on what's happening with Baker Mayfield, the coaching situation, all those star players that seem to be underperforming with Jared Mueller. We're going to get to that here in just a second. First, we're going to take our only break of the day. We'll be right back.
3: This is the
0: Overtime Podcast Network. Broncos country, your team might be sitting at 2-6 and six right now, but there is so much football left to be played. And next Sunday, the Broncos are back home in Denver to take on the Cleveland Browns. Make sure you have your seat ready for the game with Vivid Seats. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for the events you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice, all in the Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back. Vivid Seats rewards. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and join the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program today. And when it's time to buy, new users, make sure you enter the promo code OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. The Broncos might be sitting at 2-6, but there's still half of a season of football left to be played. That's a lot of games left on the horizon, you guys. There's also hockey going, you got basketball, a little bit of baseball left, and more. Because October is the only month of the year where all four major sports are going on at the same time. So what better to get into the game than by heading over to mybookie.ag? And that just scratches the surface. We have teamed up with MyBookie this October to give you this great offer. Sign up at MyBookie.ag and use promo code OVERTIME and they will match your first deposit. Again, promo code OVERTIME and new users get their first deposit doubled. MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, and joining us now, we're really excited to welcome in our guest for this week's Behind Enemy Lines segment. He is Jared Mueller. You can find him on Twitter, at Jared K. Mueller. He covers the Cleveland Browns for the OBR.com. Jared, how are you? Thanks for joining us. We know it's your birthday, so we got to welcome you and also wish you a happy birthday.
4: Hey, I appreciate it, fellas. It's uh, good to be on with you guys and, you know, looking forward to uh, covering a Browns game that. Doesn't look like it. Hopefully, will be a blowout full of drama against one of the best teams in the league, which has been what what this season has felt like, um, starting off such a such a high note with a lot of hype, and unfortunately has been a a downward spiral at some level uh, through the first seven games, even after their bye week.
0: What do you attribute that to? And and before you answer it, I I think all of us, including even Zach and I, we were all. Sucked in hook, line, and sinker on the Browns. This is a, a team that's finally figured out how to turn the ship around with the new GM, and they make an exciting, you know, kind of—I wouldn't say controversial, but uh, not the expected hire at head coach. Do you attribute it to simply one of the main tropes I've heard lately on the national stage? Anyway, Jared, is that they made a mistake not keeping. Uh, Greg Williams is the head coach and that from a discipline perspective and just an organizational, you know, minding the P's and Q's perspective, it's kind of allowed things to go off the rails with Freddie Kitchens, who is, let's face it, the epitome of inexperience when it comes to this magnitude of, of
4: duties. Yeah, I mean, I think the hiring of Freddie Kitchens really was a fear-based hiring. That doesn't mean it was a bad hiring, but uh, the worry the Browns had would be is they hired somebody else, even if they kept Kitchens around for a year as an offensive coordinator, he would be gone as kind of that next big name. And so they hired him knowing he had never been a head coach at any level and knowing that he was probably a year or two away. The reality with Greg Williams is the bluster and the noise of Greg Williams is much better as a soundbite than it is as a coach, as a leader. In a lot of ways, the team really tuned him out, Um, at least all that bluster and all that yelling late in the season uh, last year. Even as they were winning, it really was something where Greg Williams was more of a figurehead. He was the noise Um, But a lot of the work was really being done by the players in the field, by people like Kitchens um, and some of those kind of people. And so Greg Williams got some credit that maybe he didn't deserve. um, But Freddie Kitchens, if the hire was made for this season, was a poor hire. The hire was really made for the long term. And so um, I really, uh, as someone who covers the Cavaliers as well in Cleveland, it's a lot like David Blatt, who was hired before LeBron James returned. Uh, And so all of a sudden you went from a young young and up and coming team to a team with expectations when OBJ got traded for and Olivier Vernon and some of those kind of things. All of a sudden you have a team that isn't up and coming but is expected to be arrived. And Freddie Kitchens just isn't ready to be that coach right now. He's still finding his footing. He's still figuring out pecking orders. You know, he brought in Todd Munkin, who could have had a job in a lot of places. He brought in Steve Wilkes after one year as a head coach. There's just a lot of pieces that are trying to fit together, trying to understand themselves, trying to have their voice. And so Kitchens was hired, expectations changed, But the reality is, is Kitchens wasn't ready for those expectations this year. To expect him to be is kind of silly. There's no consistency. There's no continuity. uh, And he's new at this. So I think all the the talent in the world was there, uh, but the coaching just isn't ready yet for the stage that uh, they were placed on. And then you add to that all the talent. You, they had a lot of high-profile games: Rams, Ravens, Niners, Seahawks, Patriots, back to back to back to back. That um, you know they won one of those, and so you put all that together, and it looks like a two-and-five team with a lot of talent that isn't playing well. Um, that many people had playoff expectations for, and so you can place it in a, the blame in a lot of places, but hiring kitchens can be blamed if you're only worried about this season. The reality is the Browns are worried about the next 5, 10, 15, and 20 and hope they maybe finally found a coach that they could give five years to.
1: Uh, Jared, uh, Chad kind of touched on it, but I was a huge Baker Mayfield guy coming out of college. I still am a big Mayfield guy. I was also one of the people who was, you know, buying into the Browns hype this offseason, the super team they they had put together. But it really hasn't come out in the results. Like you mentioned the record, you mentioned how inexperienced the coaching staff has been. But what is going on with Mayfield this season? Is it a regression? I understand the offensive line is kind of shoddy, but Mayfield hasn't really looked at, you know, dynamic as he did last year. And now we saw today in his press conference kind of cracked in front of the media. What is the biggest problem with Mayfield and that offense with so much talent and so much expectation?
4: So I have to preface that to say my full-time job, I'm a mental health professional. So I put a lot of emphasis on on how the brain works and how feeling and thoughts and all of that kind of stuff goes together. And when you watch Baker Mayfield, you watch a quarterback who is not comfortable with his line. And so uh, obviously the Sam Darnold seeing ghost things became a big story. But with Baker, you actually see him leave clean pockets far earlier than he needs to. And so he's rolling right. His completion percentage drops dramatically when he does that. There are a lot of things that, that I think are happening mentally for him. All of a sudden, he went from, at the end of last year, it was him and Freddie. They were fighting together. They were in charge. Everyone followed Baker Mayfield and Freddie Kitchens. This year, you add OBJ and Jarvis, who now are best friends, right, or have been best friends for a long time. You add in a Todd Munkin. You add in Freddie's other responsibilities has as, as head coach. And Baker just doesn't have that level of confidence. He went from having three solid to great middle of the offensive line guys to having two. His tackles weren't that good last year, but he knew that he could rely on those guys in the middle. All of a sudden, you trade Kevin Zeitler for Olivier Vernon, and Baker now has two guys he can rely on. But he can't rely on that middle always being solid for him to step up into. And so there's just been a lot of things where he's adjusting to um, trying to force feed OBJ, trying to deal with a Freddie Kitchens, Todd Munkin style of offense that really has some clashing to it. Um, You know, trying to deal with Who's in charge and who is leading. There's just a lot of things going on there. I don't see them to be physical. Uh, I see a lot of them being mental for him. Um, and in the last few weeks, we've seen him really fight. Uh, you can watch his feet where he looks like he he's getting happy feet and he wants to start to roll out right. Right. And he plants himself and he makes the throws. So we're starting to see some of that come around um, where his accuracy is improving, his ball placement is improving, those kind of things. So we're seeing some improvement there. Uh, There was just a lot of changes from year one to year two uh, that made him far less comfortable with the offense.
0: You hope that he turns it around because, I mean, he was was just such a – I loved his story. First of all, coming into the draft, you know, as a walk on, goes on to win the Heisman, ends up becoming the first overall pick after entering the pre draft season as, you know, kind of viewed as maybe a early day two type of quarterback and ends up going number number one overall when John Dorsey just falls in love. And we know on our end, by the way, Jared, that the Denver Broncos were absolutely in love with Baker Mayfield and if he would have been there at pick five that would have been the pick, <clears throat> but, uh, of course, it wasn't meant to be. So we, we do, I mean, in a general sense, we want, we want to see him turning around, and we're really interested to see how he performs against this Vic Fangio defense on Sunday, which has, you know, hasn't exactly been the problem, it, with the exception <laughs> of three games in which the Broncos went into the final two minutes with a lead, and all they needed was one stop, and they could get off the field with a victory, and in all three cases, week two, week four, and then last week against the Colts, Fangio's defense, one lapse or another, and it leads to, you know, the last second field goal in the Broncos, you know, there's conceivably could have three additional wins at this stage in the season, but that's just not the way it's shaken out. And I look at the statistical head-to-head comparisons between these two teams, and it's remarkably, it lines up quite a bit, especially on the offensive side. But let's turn the page to the defense, Jared, and, And uh, tell us what's going on there, because, you know, statistically, they're not exactly blowing the doors down, but they're number one against the pass, or excuse me, number seven against the pass, averaging 22.1 yards. They are ranked in the top 10 in sacks with 22, which is led, of course, by Miles Garrett's 10. They are in the top six in third down percentage. And yet you go down a little bit farther and in the red zone percentage, they are, you know, bottom third in
4: the league yeah, I mean, the the interesting thing with the Browns defense is consistency has been lacking. And so you you look at those sacks, and obviously, Miles Garrett having ten is great, and he's have a very good season so far. But the Browns defense has has waxed and waned. they're They look amazing. All of a sudden, there's a turnover by the Browns offense. The defense comes out and is able to to force uh, the opponent into a three and out field goal attempt or or some of those kind of things. And then you have these drives where, uh, they're just getting shellacked, whether it's um, Derrick Henry screen for 80 some yards, Matt Breida, their first offensive play by the 49ers in these huge gains. And so you see this again, this inconsistency, which isn't surprising. Uh, many of the players who are still there from last year, which is a lot of them, uh, are going from Greg Williams uh, man up attacking style defense to Steve Wilkes, more zone prevalent defense. And so there's, there's some of these inconsistent matches. Um, He was a surprise pick, honestly, for defensive coordinator. When you look at Denzel Ward, who is uh, their number one corner and best as a man uh, press corner, even though he's a smaller guy, he's a press corner uh, to a T doesn't really fit this off-man zone coverage that Steve Wilkes has run uh, more than almost anybody in the league. And so they actually played better on defense, especially against the pass, when both Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams, who are better man defenders, were out with hamstring injuries. You had Terrence Mitchell, you had T.J. Carey, Jermaine Whitehead, and a few, Morgan Burnett, and a bunch of random kind of guys that fit a little bit better into Steve Wilkes' system. And so it's also why you saw Jannard Avery, who was a John Dorsey quote unquote steal last year as a fifth rounder, get very few snaps in the first seven games and then get traded for a draft pick two years away to the Philadelphia Eagles. So fit to scheme, unfortunately is becoming a problem on defense. And so that explains a lot of the consistency issues uh, that the Browns have had, the big plays um, that have just kind of come up. And then you have a, you have the offense, they're not playing well together, and so the offense is turning the ball over at a, at an alarmingly high rate. Defense is on the field longer. They don't have a ton of depth of quality players. So all of that is working against the Browns' defense. Last week against the Patriots, a few things that we saw from the cornerbacks that really were troubling were on third and three, third and four, they had cornerbacks in off coverage in bailing on third and three and third and four so they're already five, six, seven yards off yeah. and they're bailing at the snap of the ball now the footing wasn't great because of weather but there are some things with the scheme and and fit with Steve Wilkes that, that are concerning because overall there is a ton of talent on that roster Demarius Randall at free safety Joe Schobert linebacker the front four with Sheldon Richardson coming in Olivier Vernon Miles Garrett and then Ward and Williams there's a lot of talent on the defense but fit with the scheme unfortunately is becoming another issue and that's what happens when you continually turn over coaching staff in front office which is the only thing the Browns have done consistently over the last 20 years
1: now, piggybacking off piggybacking off that question uh this is a game that the 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 Browns are favored on the road I believe they're they're a road favorite the Broncos are underdogs but it's a battle of two true struggling teams it's a coin flip game that can go either way to give a little scouting report to Broncos fans Jared what's one reason that you would see the Browns winning this game and what's one reason you see them losing this game what are the weaknesses and strengths that Broncos fans and Broncos players uh, should look for on Sunday
4: Um, I think starting on the offensive side of the ball, Nick Chubb has been a great offensive force. If they can ride with him and really control the line of scrimmage with their offensive line in the run game, that can really kind of set things up for the passing attack. I know in the NFL, throwing the ball is kind of all the rage. You got OBJ and Landry and Rashard Higgins and Antonio Callaway. The Browns have a lot of talent at receiver, but the reality is is their offensive line – Joel Batonio and J.C. Treader are their only what I would consider and probably pro football focus and others would consider good to adequate or better pass blockers. So where you're going to see some concern would be if you're getting into some kind of shootout or that the Browns just get pass happy because they have all of those weapons. I think on the offensive side, those are the things that you're going to kind of look for is are they able to control the game with the run? Or are they really trying to rely on a pass game with an offensive line that just isn't there? And so, obviously, Bradley Chubb being out is helpful for that. Um, But Von Miller is Von Miller. Um, So, on the offensive, those are kind of the things that I would look at is what is the run-pass differential. And then on the defensive side of the ball, if I'm a Broncos fan, I'm hoping that my team is just consistent. Keep doing what you do and see if the Browns break for one or two Really long plays because Wilkes brings pressure or Mac Wilson, uh, the rookie linebacker out of Alabama, gets out of position and all of a sudden, you know, that running back, that receiver, whoever, um, is is just wide open down the field for that 60, 70, 80 yard touchdown. And so really for the Broncos, um, I would say hoping that their offense is kind of boring, kind of doing the same thing, just kind of pounding away. Finding those little niche times to take those shots to get a, knowing that the Browns are coming with some aggressiveness, throw that screen that's, that seems to be open. So that's really kind of where the winning and losing is going to happen for the Broncos uh, with the Browns defenses. Don't try to you know outmuscle them all the time, any of those kind of things. Just keep doing what you do. Don't get too creative and the Browns will likely screw up enough to give you guys a chance.
0: By the way, Zach, you were right on that. The Broncos are three-point dogs right now at home Uh, to the Browns. And, Jared, you know, not everyone's uh, big prediction, guys. On one hand, if you have a prediction, the way you see this game unfolding, we'd love to hear it. Not necessarily a score prediction because that can go, you know, a a million different directions, but just a win-loss. And not only that, but we're we're curious to know – I like asking this question of every guest we have on that covers a different NFL team – what the view – from your city is on this Denver Broncos squad that's gotten out to a 2-6 and six start under first-time head coach Vic Fangio. Joe Flacco, as you probably know by now, has got the neck injury. He's not the starter this week. It's going to be Brandon Allen making his first NFL start. And In fact, the Denver Broncos are officially the first team in NFL history to go into a Week 9 matchup with – a, without a quarterback who has played a single snap in the NFL, which is kind of crazy. But your view on the team or what the view on, on this Broncos squad is from Cleveland and just how you see this thing
4: unfolding. So the 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 view from Cleveland is, oh, first of all, there's a lot of bias, obviously. Um, there's a lot of things about that that uniform that um, from my childhood is hard to overcome. Right. Uh, and it starts with the guy running the show there, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but really it's starting to become this thing where, um, there's a feel that things won't turn around until John Elway no longer is making the decisions. And so um, and then and then the second part is, Vic Fangio was a very good number two. He's a great defensive coordinator. But one of the things that I'm really big on and, and, is, and there's no answer to it is being a great offensive or defensive coordinator seems to mean almost nothing when it comes to becoming a great head coach. The correlation there, Does't seem to be a direct fit, but who gets hired? the the best offensive and defensive coordinators. So I think the question becomes is is Vic Fangio a great number two? What is he going to be able to be as a head coach? But in the end, John Elway has seemingly made poor choices at the quarterback position. when they brought in you could laugh a little bit, right? Like we knew that wasn't going to be a good thing. Um, and so it looks like a team that's in transition. Not sure they're going to make it wherever it is uh, with John Elway making those decisions. Um, Beyond that, uh, the defense looks like a great defense. Um, But again, in that transition of where are they going to be when they're able to be competitive? How old will Von Miller be? Uh, What are they going to do with Derek Wolf? Some of those types of players, it seems like maybe they're caught in the middle a little bit there. um, Which I think is why when I look at this game, um, I, I would... I would bet your money, a little bit of your money, on um, the Browns winning that game, they seem to have more purpose um, to where they need to be this season, uh, and, and this game is important in that process than I think the Broncos do. Now, moving to Brandon Allen, and then next week or the week after, we think Drew Locke will be starting. And so I think there's just more of a purpose to this game for the Browns. And for the Broncos, this is kind of that, that speed bump along the way to something else. Um, and so score-wise, I could see the Browns winning 17-14, and I could see the Browns winning 35 and really trying to put their offense kind of in fast gear yeah. uh, and winning 35-20. to 20. So um, wherever it goes, I just think it's a, I think each team has a different kind of goal in mind, and this game means something different to both. I think Broncos fans
0: would be stunned if this team, especially with Brandon Allen, at quarterback, if they get to twenty points, that everyone will be stunned. That would have to have mean the Broncos' defense scored. Um, but yeah, I mean, and by the which way, which is likely, <laughs> it's, yeah, no kidding. The way they've been giving the ball away, but you know, I don't know if you caught this, John Elway. This was making the rounds in the headlines on Wednesday, um, but John Elway basically said that the timeline for Drew Lock—they're not even going to bring him back to practice until Week Eleven after the bye. So the the bye oh. is Week Ten. And then they're not even going to bring him back to practice. Mind you, he's been on IR since the, third, well, since the season began. He injured his thumb the third preseason game. So he hasn't practiced. He, he's, been eligible. he's been healthy for a couple of weeks and eligible to practice since week seven. The Broncos have sat on it, sat on it, sat on it. They're not even going to activate him to practice, according to Elway, until the Minnesota week, which is week <laughs> 11. So we're all still here just scratching our head going, what in the Sam Hill is going on?
4: And that's got to be tough for, I mean, obviously, I've been, a, I've been covering the Browns for almost a decade now. And so I know what those seasons are like. And it's tough because then you're starting as a fan, as a media, and even as a player just looking for little rays of hope. But again, for those kind of middle-of-their-career veterans, to put their bodies on the line for a team that— isn't focused on winning now and isn't really focused on even developing certain players or giving them a chance to develop it can be really really difficult for the psyche especially you know it's starting to be november starting to think about thanksgiving and christmas and and all those kind of things so it'll be interesting to see um how fangio can motivate a team when the front office seems to be demotivating them with some of their decisions
0: well said well said well hey. Thank you so much, Jared, for joining us here and making time for us this evening, especially on your birthday. Make sure, Broncos fans, you get out there and you follow Jared Mueller on Twitter, at Jared K. Mueller. Jared, thanks again for joining us. We look forward to hopefully having you on on the show on down the road.
4: Sounds good. Sounds good, gentlemen. Thank you for having me on. This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
0: All right, Zach, so great conversation there with Jared. We'll have to look at getting him back on the show down the road. But what's your take on what he had to say about Baker Mayfield and, as you so astutely mentioned, his kind of meltdown um, in front of Cleveland media on Wednesday?
1: Yeah, Baker's definitely frustrated, and I feel like it's one of those games where it's going to go one of two ways. They're either going to use that as motivation and just curb-stomp the Broncos, or they're going to implode more and the Broncos are going to pull off an upset victory at home. It's one way or the other, but there's enough talent on that Browns team, and Baker Mayfield's a good enough quarterback where if they can protect him against the Broncos' pass rush, no easy feat against Von Miller, but if they can, uh, this is a team and an offense and a run game that can put up points and you have to wonder, do the Broncos have that firepower to match? With Flacco, they didn't have it. I don't think with Brandon Allen, they're going to have it. So if the if the Browns offense semi-clicks in this game, if, if Kitchen settles out as a coach and Baker Mayfield gets protection, it, it actually could be a long afternoon for the Broncos, based on what Jared was saying.
0: Yeah. You just have to wonder. I mean, he didn't sound too worried about the the Browns choosing not to keep Greg Williams as the head coach, even though he had a winning record as a head coach for the Browns last year once he became interim head coach. We've talked about this privately before, but I think this is one of those situations where you very much have the inmates running the asylum, if you will, because Greg Williams, obviously a defensive czar. Everyone remembers him from his involvement in Bounty Gate back in New Orleans He's, as Jared said, he's a blusterer, uses a lot of foul language, yells a lot. He's a disciplinarian, though, and the players feared him, okay? They, they do fear him. The players that play for him fear him. There was an air of, you know, uh, accountability and discipline that came with not only his defensive scheme and the X's and O's on game day for that defense, but just overall, you know, they feared him, whereas with Freddie Kitchens, he might have a sharp offensive mind and he might have a unique and special relationship there with Baker Mayfield, but some men are just not cut out to be organizationally uh, competent in terms of minding the P's and Q's, managing other grown men, aside from also coaching, teaching, scheming, and all that goes along with it. It's a really difficult job, and not, too, not very many people can do it, and I just think that they, they probably wouldn't be in a better situation this year if they just would have said, you know what, Greg Williams, even though he's been a failed head coach in the past, he finish this season with the winning record as an interim head coach. We're going to roll the dice, see how this combination works out, at least for one more year. What would they have had to lose, Zach?
1: I'm not going to lie. When Jared was breaking down some of Kitchen's faults and his criticisms, the first name that popped into my mind was Vance Joseph. It was the same kind of scenario where some coaches are just better at being coordinators than being uh, head coaches, and Vance is not even a good coordinator. But Kitchens, it was lightning in a bottle last year. He had Baker Mayfield going. He was that big spark uh, after they made that change and after they got rid of uh, Hugh Jackson. He was that breath of fresh air. But you've you got to look for the best coach for your team. You have to look for experience. And that's what the Broncos went wrong, hiring Vance over, let's say, Kyle Shanahan or a guy who had a little more of a resume. Yep. Still can't get over that. Yep. And I think the Browns might live to regret that, too. They have way more talent than a two-win team. I mean, it just reminds me of the Broncos of 2017 after Gary Kubiak. Nine-win team, and then you go, you almost have that total. So it all comes down to coaching in the end, Chad. And unfortunately for the Broncos, they don't really have an advantage because is also a rookie coach. So it's really going to be an interesting chess game on Sunday. I just think if the Browns' offense even semi-clicks, I don't think the Broncos' offense can match, and it's going to be not a great result for Denver. Maybe we'll talk
0: more about this tomorrow night, but what do you expect to see? Last thing, and then we'll get out of here. What do you expect to see from Brandon Allen?
1: Uh, competency, mobility, him standing in the pocket, be able to move if pass rush comes near him. I'm not looking for him to throw... 400 yards and four touchdowns. It's going to be probably a run-oriented attack. A lot of Philip Lindsay, a lot of Royce Freeman. But if he can just make some throws in the pocket and he can just bring some spark to this offense, that's really all we can hope for, Chad. This Browns defense is very opportunistic. They can be had, but they're very uh, rangy. They're very fast. They hit hard. Um, Allen has his work cut out for him. But if he can just make some throws and he can move around in the pocket and we can see once and for all whether it's a Flacco problem or a Scangarello problem, I think it, it's going to be the former And Skangerl's play calling, I think, will work better with a younger quarterback with more mobility like Allen. Yeah,
0: I'm definitely looking for any kind of spark, any size of spark from Brandon Allen to see if he can move this offense forward off of its kind of being stuck in neutral position through the first half of this season. And really, I want to see him push the ball downfield and show a willingness to try and fit the ball into some tight windows. The Bill and Broncos guys, you know, they had a great conversation on Wednesday and they brought that up that Flacco, you know, he's just not, he's taking always the, the the dump off and the check down and he's not throwing into tight windows and he's not pushing the ball downfield and he's missing wide open receivers. Well, hopefully that's all in the in the, in the rear view by now. All right, he's injured. It sounds like it's a minimum of, at least the team believes he's out five to six weeks minimum with that neck. He's seeking a second opinion. We'll see what happens there. But that means that, in all, for all intents and purposes, he's he's probably done, at least for this season. We talked about in previous episodes the implications for is he done as a Bronco. I don't really care to rehash that at this stage, but it's in the rear view now. Let's see if Brandon Allen, very short-term, very brief window, that the, let's face it, that the team's going to give him to be the man. Let's see if he can, as you said, show a little bit of a spark and whether or not Scangarello's scheme... You know, I think it'll lay bare that question or the answer to that question a little bit more cl- clearly whether or not it's the chicken or the egg in terms of the QB play or the play calling. But, you guys, that's got to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thanks to our guest, Jared Mueller, for joining us. And keep in mind, make sure you are subscribed to the show on YouTube. The way to do that, get onto YouTube, search Mile High Huddle, subscribe, and then make sure you're following the show and Mile High Huddle on Facebook, facebook.com slash MileHighHuddle, because we are going to be coming to you with a live simulcast Thursday night on both YouTube and Facebook, so make sure you are following the show and able to get your notifications on that. But in the meantime, also follow us on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. At you can find my partner here, Zach Kelberman, at KelbermanNFL, myself, at Chad N. Jensen. Stay tuned. We'll be back tomorrow with the Mile High Mailbag For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We will talk to you then. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.